Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we try to find some of the coolest university technologies so you don't have to. We want to serve up solutions to some of the biggest problems that we can see and um, hopefully help those innovations and solutions become actual things that people can use. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, PhD, science wizard, and holding the other end of the empty can of peas tied to a string with his technological deficient pandemic quarantine situation. Help me out, Tyler. Where are you? Breathe, are you Charlie. Here? Breathe, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, yes, I, I'm connected to both of you via the world's longest um, string can uh, phone. I think we're setting a Guinness World Record today. It sounds remarkable clarity for um, for what it is, but uh, I'm glad you can make it. Also, that was Joe we heard, Joe Rungi, Dr. Law Dog, entrepreneur werewolf, eater of peas. How, how do you plug a string into Zoom? <laughs> Nanotubes. That is, that, is for, that is for next week's episode, Joe. Don't spoil it. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm using... I spoil it, let me just let everyone remember that we really need them to rate and review and to tell their friends about the podcast. We exist entirely on goodwill and sentiment, and without it, we will all wither and blow away, not unlike peas in the wind. Yes, do help us spread the word so that we can hopefully uh, help some of these technologies get the additional support they need to, uh, to get, to get the, that last little push onto the marketplace. Um, so, I, you know, I made the joke about nanotubes connecting uh, connecting us to Tyler's um, very 19th century communication device that he's using. Um, but I think I want to go over nanotubes. I want to do more material science. Last time we talked about uh, with graphene, and, um, and I think we should continue down that road. Joe, what do you think? I think we should, because you know where the road goes from graphene? Goes, churros. It does. It goes graphene to churros to graphene churros, which is basically what a carbon uh, nanotube is. So, uh, yeah, I think cool. that I think we're done. Let's just. All right. No, we we we're not. I'm sorry. I, I, it's all carbon. It's all it's carbon. Carbon nanotubes. Yes. So uh, we we discussed in a pretty judgy way about the promiscuity of carbon with itself, which again is weird. But carbon does bond readily. Forms big old sheets of six mer uh, lattice structures, and and then it, it that's what graphene is. Is a, a giant sheet of it. What a carbon nanotube is, is basically, it, it's, it's a lot like that sheet just rolled in, into a tube. Uh, hence, it is a churro, right? And not unlike a churro, it, it can be filled with all kinds of, of awesome and, and delicious things. But, but before we get too much into that, um, you know, carbon nanotubes predates the discovery of, of graphene. Uh, by about 10 years, their discovery is complicated. Uh, a lot of people sort of figured out they figured it out first. But no one disagrees that uh, carbon nanotubes are, are 400 times stronger than steel, so even stronger than, than graphene. Uh, that they're, they're thinner than a hair, they have enormous density, they're incredibly stable chemically, they don't rust because made out of carbon. And as we mentioned, they sort of have a, a hollow core. And it's sort of the repeated honeycomb-like structure that makes them very, very strong. But whereas graphene can be produced on a bit more scale, growing carbon nanotubes is a lot more complicated. If, if you can grow five centimeters of carbon nanotubes, you're like a boss, man. I mean, that's, that's a, 
Yeah. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of applications for five, did you say millimeters? I said five centimeters. Centimeters. Five yeah. centimeters of nanotubes. I don't know what I would do with. So we're talking about two inches about. Oh, wait. Right? I'm sorry. I mean 50 centimeters. It's 500 millimeters. Okay, 50 centimeters. So, all right. So we're looking at. But yeah, it's about 25 not, millimeters in an inch. So it'll help me with the math on that. I mean, it's, it's good for Barbie scale, but like, you know, in, in the real world, still not really cutting it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. All this kind of comes from my obsession with a space elevator and I need a carbon nanotube that goes from the earth to a geosynchronous satellite and back. Not there Seems yet. Seems like uh, there's a ways to go yet from, I mean, you got to go to 60 miles at least. Right. So, so um, the, the thing that is kind of cool about carbon nanotubes, they were discovered, I don't know the exact discovery process, but their manufacture process is a lot like thin film deposition. And so there are all kinds of complicated chemical processes to make teeny tiny little thin films of stuff, like an atom thin, because that really changes it, right? You have an atom of a material on the surface, another material, it's dramatically different. We used to have a, a scientist with one of the coolest names ever. His name was Ferry Dune Namavar. And he had this chamber. Wait, what? Say, can you say that name again? Barry Dune Namavar. Dr. Namavar. Used to run into him at the gym all the time. Oh, cool. Let's set about all that. Right. But Dr. Namavar, he had this gigantic uh, chamber. And this thing was like probably the steampunkiest thing on campus for a long time. When you say gigantic, can you give me, give me a, something bigger than a bread basket? Or? No, it was a – I mean – I remember I used to work for the Army Corps of Engineers and in the basement they had all the gear that they would use to break up rocks for like materials testing. It was like that scale. This is like a factory machine sized doodad. Um, it was probably about eight feet tall. It had a chamber in it uh, roughly the size of like a small oven, but it had about two feet of metal all surrounding it because what it would do is it could modify like the the pressure and it could aerosolize gases sometimes gases from like really really uh, complicated chemical entities and what he used it for is he would take implants and coat them with different types of metal but he would just coat them with like one or two atoms of the metal or the plastic or whatever and it would dramatically change the chemical properties of the surface so you'd have a plastic implant that had like a metal outer coating which basically stopped wearing. So what kind of implant are you talking about? Like a, like a hip or? Yeah, orthopedic implants. Yep. Okay. okay. And cool. so the, the way that that would work is you would catalyze a chemical reaction to essentially build off of the substrate or the surface um, wherever you wanted to sort of chemically deposit the, the metal or whatever the chemistry is. And that's, that's electro deposition. It's like vapor deposition. It's uh, there's all types of chemical yeah. processes and better chemists could sort of describe it with me. But that's why it takes so much to create, you know, 50 centimeters of carbon nanotube because you're literally depositing. And it, again, it's, it has to form this really specific lattice in order to maintain that strength. So you have to very, you're almost adding atom by atom, all of these individual atoms of carbon that to sort of build it. So building like 50 centimeters of that, I mean, forget about it. That's, that's awesome. Right. I mean, that, that is a huge achievement. It's just not getting me a space elevator anytime soon. Cause it's not like you can just tape together a bunch of five centimeter lengths of it. You need to have the whole nanotube, uh, you know, be chemically bound together at, at sort of every state of it. So whereas graphene is such a big deal because 
we've already moved away from making it with scotch tape to, you know, they're rolling it out in factories. We're still just finding more and more efficient ways to improve this electro or this chemical deposition method to produce carbon nanotubes, one carbon at a time. Kind of like that ash song. One Tyler, carbon. were you going to add something there? I thought I heard, uh, I thought I heard your tin can squeak a little bit. Rattled for a second. Oh yeah, no, I was just um, exclaiming how cool chemical vapor deposition um, and, and, and electro deposition are. So yeah, it's no, right. Very cool processes. I don't really have much meaning, no, meaningful right? information to add, but yeah, this is very cool. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to say too, back to your churros, Churros are also, they have another thing in, car, in common with carbon nanotubes. They're both mostly made out of carbon. So that's true. <laughs> I did not think of that. I once got a silicon churro. and uh, So a churro could be a carbon. Poisonous. So, so a churro is a carbon macro tube, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. I'm going to start a band call it carbon macro tube. <laughs> okay, so Much what are we, less impressive than the carbon. Much more <laughs> Charlie's coming out with the scissors. I think he's going to cut the tin can. <laughs> I think when he said carbon macro, he's like, done. As long as we're not talking about the uh, Schrodinger's cat, I'm okay. <laughs> I forgot about it. I saw a guy with a Schrodinger's cat t-shirt the other day. But I think like the, the thing that's kind of interesting about carbon nanotubes is even though they're impossibly hard to manufacture right now, impossible is probably the wrong word, but they're not scaling yet. If you can make it work, Charlie, this is why I thought of you. It would literally be the world's best rebar because, I mean, like, I don't know what the density of rebar for concrete is, right? But, like, what if the rebar was in the concrete when you poured it? Oh, you know, they have um, something very similar to that where they have little metal fibers um, that they will mix in with the concrete. And they usually use that with, uh, it's called shotcrete. And that is a, it's a spray form. It's a sprayed on concrete. So they can do that to where you can't really build a form to pour it and you like give it time to sit. So they shoot it out of a nozzle with high pressure air, compressed air. And, uh, and there's, and it mixes a, a quick drying chemical right at the nozzle. And so it's, yeah, it's a mixture of basically standard concrete. It's more of a grout type thing. It doesn't have big rocks in it, just mainly like a sand. And then these metal fibers that give it its strength. So it's if like you, a concrete flamethrower. Like exact, yeah, yeah. It's it's a crazy thing. It's it's messy as all hell, but it 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 does the job. It's and so a, there are a little, but so okay. So I'll give you that. All right, fine. You you can't. We already have. Uh, well, if it's but that's here's the thing though. Here's the thing with and, and this is with all concrete, especially rein, steel reinforced concrete. Those metal fibers are made of they're steel. And all that stuff rusts. And when metal rusts, it expands, and that's how you develop cracks and things and bridges. That's why the Roman aqueducts still standing like, like they haven't missed a beat because it's not steel-reinforced. That's why so, the Pantheon still stands, not steel-reinforced. But you know, our modern bridges that are much, much stronger than Roman concrete because it has that reinforcement. It can carry loads of trucks and things on them. But it has that steel reinforcement inside, so it – they will degrade over time. And if you can have that carbon nanotube that you're talking about is, is in place of that, now you're talking about concrete that could last as long as Roman concrete and be probably 10 times as strong. Right. 
And the, the thing that's also kind of cool about it is you would largely be manufacturing it from sources of carbon, right? Mm -hmm. But there is one catch. There are some actual pretty exotic chemistry that kind of goes along with it. So first invention that I found is related to um, reinforced materials from, from Rice University, which, uh, you know, is, a, I don't know, I'm just going to say a concrete town, but what does that even mean? Anyways, Houston. They have many concretes down there. They have a lot of highways. I don't know what else. <laughs> Anyways, uh, unlike everywhere else in the world, they got highways. But <laughs> so uh, the the inventors at Rice, they basically are are goosing the the methodology for doing this single carbon uh, deposition. And the the world is there are a lot of patents out there that talk about changing different uh, types of catalysts, which is basically. Uh, for lack of a better term, the business end of where you get those carbon molecules to start to attach in your uh, uh, your vapor deposition. And so they use a whole variety of, of those types of, of uh, catalysts to be able to do it. Uh, but then in addition to that, they grow within the center of the churro. Uh, they, their chemistry is such that they can actually grow another chain within it as well. So you're going to produce like super carbon nanotubes. You can fill the carbon nanotubes with, um, uh, with, with graphene. Uh, they're including uh, boron or sulfur or selenium, and I have no idea chemically what any of those do, but I'm sure they know what they're doing. But the idea is, is in addition to growing the nanotubes quicker, they're growing them with Bavarian cream inside of them to keep them to be uh, way, to add additional uh, density to make them conductive. And again, this kind of comes down to material science, things that would otherwise have to be engineered uh, into the product in the end are just inherent in the nature of the material. Adding things like graphene, now you have all the properties of graphene, if additional strength. In addition, you also have the ability to conduct electricity or light or heat or, or whatever kind of goes along with that. And so I think that that's really the key to make carbon nanotubes more scalable. What's the practical application for for this? I mean, yeah, I, I can see the the concrete use, uh, but what 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 else? So imagine uh, cables wove out of carbon nanotubes, right? That would be you know they'd be impossible to break. So going back to my beloved space elevator, the reason why carbon nanotubes are such a big deal is you would need something that is not heavy, but immensely strong, like spider silk on steroids in order to be able to do the, to, to not drag down the satellite, but still be strong enough to sort of support the elevator as it's going up and down. Um, similarly, imagine if you had reinforcement for, you know, impossibly long cables or wires or whatever to be able to have those identified that be there. Imagine for using them in space, you could bind together different parts of the space station using carbon nanotubes, or you can manufacture all of the components of your, your spacecraft out of carbon nanotubes. In addition to being wicked strong, they're incredibly light, which lowers the amount of fuel that you would need to get out of orbit or to get between planets and things like that. Imagine you would have an incredible benefit to just more, uh, more traditional construction projects, you know, high rises and things like that. I mean, when you're talking about, you see those tower cranes on some of these bigger buildings that they're, that they're using, even, you know, those track cranes, big part of the weight calculation into what they can carry on their loads, you have to factor in the weight of the cable. And yeah. um, I'd be really interesting to see how something like this could impact just general construction, period. And I think like, you know, when I started talking about graphene, I was quite, I was trying to think of things I'd never heard of before. So to think of graphene as the key to making 
uh, optical-based computing work, right? Never would have thought of that, right? And I think similarly, uh, the next invention that I was able to find really shows how nanomaterials make other things, uh, can produce unexpected applications. And so one is a nanopore uh, biomolecule sequencer. So this speaks like close to my heart. I ran a sequencer for, for two years, as you do. Um, and uh, that thing was like fragile and expensive and it caused a great deal of anxiety. Uh, it was like having a, a, a toddler forged out of glass that wanted to hurt itself all the time. And it just, it was a, a big part of my anxiety was sort of built around it because it was built with these teeny tiny little glass pores that you had to have a robot descend into your specimens to draw them up. And if anything was misaligned, the robot would just ram the pores into the oh, bottom of your specimen wow. and break them. And I would, you know, I never broke one. I was always very proud of that, but um, I didn't run it that much either. But the point is, right, that, you know, liquid handling in like laboratory equipment is something that I'm sure Tyler can relate to. I'll give him a moment to relate. Did you cut the string? I think you did. Maybe. Oh, I'm here. Oh, good. Can you guys oh, hear good. me? Oh, we, good. We just I, have him on tape delay. I, I am, I'm still listening and I'm still <laughs> Tyler, you have to take into account the curvature of the earth before you <laughs> Oh, man, I was kidding. <laughs> Live via uh, satellite. <laughs> bouncing from Alpha. I started reading my kids The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and they're like, why are you laughing? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so the, the nanopore sequencer uses carbon nanotubes to uh, collect very small amounts of biomolecules. And so like for a DNA sequencer, the carbon nanotubes are these little pores in which you get you know, individual little uh, DNA snippets that kind of come in. And then within the nanopores, are whatever you're looking for. So if you're looking for a particular DNA sequence, you make a probe for it, stick it at the end of the pore, have it connect to the electronics within the sequencer, and I don't know if it's present, it lights up or whatever. But like the point is, is that because the nanotubes are so small and so durable, you can just keep using them to try to identify whether or not you actually have a, a particular biomolecule present or not. And so the thing that makes that really cool is because these are nanoscale, right? They're, they're teeny tiny. You can just have enormous density of them on a really small space. So you could have like a single, you know, solid chip that's just, you know, covered with these things. And then when it finds whatever molecule you're looking for, then it, it sort of lights up. And in that way, you know, with relatively low power, I, I don't know how the fluid would be handling whatever. But the point is, is like that nanotube is essentially the way in which you're uh, limiting kind of one at a time evaluation of the biomolecules present in a given specimen. So I think the thing that's really cool, right, to go back to Charlie's point is there's kind of the obvious reinforced materials, right? Like we can use carbon nanotubes like we've used rope and string and wire for all of human history. But at the same time, we can also use it to, you know, be the pores in a nanopore sequencer and the core of a smart instrument. Okay. Um, that's very cool stuff. I think it's time we come to ground that we run a little bit long. Um, yeah. So please take a note to check out the program notes. We'll have links to both the invention from Rice and uh, from, for the nanopore sequencer, which is a joint collaboration between Columbia and Arizona State.
Tyler, one last chance to get in some words, man. What do you got? Um, you know, I am just excited about these nanotube applications, and as the, the technology gets more developed, um, yeah, I, I don't have much else to add. Exactly. Yeah, try cutting the nanotube wall. Not so easy. Connected to the peas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I do want to thank our sponsors, uh, Unimed, the Technology Transfer Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska, KVNO Recording Studios, which we are definitely not at right now, um, and also Unitech, the translational incubator startup, what's it, that Joe is involved with. Love it. So for Tyler's share, and uh, wait, well, and a website coming, right? It's still That's coming? Right. You heard the last show. Yeah. yeah no, I was paying attention that. for a little bit. Yeah. So, so for Tyler's share, Joe Ruggie, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you, and please join us every Monday on Unimed's Innovation Overground. Woo!